Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. And so the question from the previous episode was mine, and it was um, with the 2020 lockout coming up, as we all know, it's going to happen no matter how much the NHL likes to pretend it's not going to. Um, Who do you see as being some of the people that won't come back into the NHL after that? Who's going to retire because of the lockout? So uh, my question in, in response to that would be, can we have two scenarios? Yeah, you can, is, you can do whatever you want. Well, I'm saying one is it's a half season. Two is they take us to the wall again, and it mm-hmm. becomes a full season. Do we think that second one is feasible in any way, shape, or form? I don't, personally. I don't think so. Neither do I. Okay. Yeah. So if we go by a half season, which I, I suspect that it's as long as they'd let it go, would be another sort of half season again. Um, my one assured one, and I, I'm like 90 percentile range, I think, is Joe Thornton. I think if anything, if it's the last two seasons have shown his body is starting to give way mm-hmm. a lot faster. Um, the the two off season knee surgeries he's had, well, actually in season. One, I think in one of the cases it was kind of in the season. But basically, you know, he's he's riding on borrowed body time right now, and he kind of knows it. And and to their credit, they've reduced his minutes. They've sort of put him in a third-line role to a certain degree. Um, and and I'm not saying he doesn't like it. Um, yeah, actually, he loves it because he's, he's getting to be the impact player. But I also think that this might be his last run. I'm, I'm almost 100% positive this is his last run. And if there's a lockout, um, I think that's one of those situations that's going to be, nope, can't do it. Because I mean, he, the other side of it is he can say, you know, oh, it's going to give me extra time to rest and recoup and all of this other stuff. But, and I hate saying it, his advanced age because I'm older than him, but at his advanced <laughs> age, it's also a detriment. Because that compressed schedule um, of even you know even the 42 or however many games they want to they want to try and cram in there is going to be brutal, especially for a team like that that does a lot of travel. Now that said, I always mock people for griping about how much travel they have when you know it's an hour and a half flight to um, L. It's not even an hour and a half flight to L.A. It's hardly a flight to L.A. And maybe mm-hmm. a two hour, you know, two and a half hour flight to Vancouver and, you know, two hours here, two hours there. And they have their own jet and, you know, but those East Coast swings, I think, do actually take a, a toll on them. So that's mine. I, I'm I'm I know I said last show that I was 100 percent sure. And it's one of those. My gut says my gut says 100 percent. My mind says probably 90 percentile range somewhere in the 90s. Mm-hmm. What about you, Pat? So it comes down to a matter of timing. I'm not sure we'll see a half season. One thing I've been curious about is would we see something reduced by, say, a month's time and, and we're down to like a 72 game season? Which I think, if it weren't for revenues, all parties involved would love something a little shorter. 
But my mind goes to Shea Weber, who it looks like he's already walking on a crutcher the way he's skating probably in the last three weeks of the regular season as we uh, tape in the beginning of April. And I think just the opportunity to sign a new CBA, I am sure the league will allow for another set of compliance buyouts. And that is the period of time where the Canadians can walk away from his, I guess it'll be six additional years on his contract when he is 35. Knowing they still have to pay Carey Price that same period of time, and he's only two, two and a half years younger. Let me ask you this, though. Would that not be a scenario with him where they would do a compliance buyout and then turn around and re-sign him? Almost like Washington did? Oh, no. They'll have to launder him through, let's see, Nashville, maybe? (laughs) I mean, really would they, though? I mean, because... You know, was it was I want to say it wasn't it Orpic that they did that with. It was one of those guys that had a kind of a high end contract. They bought it out, yeah. turned around, and and re-signed him for substantially less. Yeah, Orpic was part of the deal that sent Philip Grubauer to Colorado, and he was immediately placed on. He went through the buyout process after the cup. Um, I don't know if he can physically do it after his contract expires or after he doesn't have a contract. I don't know that anyone's going to be, well, let me rephrase that. Somebody's going to be (laughs) dumb enough to take on the risk. I don't know if Shea Weber will be that hung up on continuing to play or be physically able to play. to actually sign another contract. It's, may he I could see him going the Rick Nash route and just you know, maybe he holds off for a while and holds on to hope but ultimately just can't do it. Yeah, see I, I think my problem there is unless they restructure the buyout plan, I mean Montreal would be on the hook until like 2033 or something. But so um, long as it's not on the cap, but I mean, it would be Right, because no, no. So back it's cap, it's cap recapture. So after the last CBA was signed, every team was kind of given a 100% salary paid out buyout, but it does not affect your cap. Oh, I oh, you're you're didn't they have two of them? Yeah, yeah. I believe believe they did um, because of the short amount of time between the season starting up and then I think a small window. After that following season, That's uh, right. I'm sorry, I forgot. About, I forgot about those no penalty buyouts each team had. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, your thought about Orpic brings to mind uh, Darian Hatcher, who was bought out by. Oh, I want to say it was Detroit, and then immediately signed a rich deal with the Philadelphia Flyers after the uh, season long lockout. So, well, I mean, Vinny LeCavalier did it too, right? Yeah. Tampa bought him out, and he went out and, you know, basically signed another sweetheart deal back, or I think with Philly. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, he's... What, what is he, like 32, 33 right now, Weber? 33. So he's 33. Um, I don't know. I don't see him walking away. I mean, even though, his, like you said, his body is starting to let him down a little bit, too. Um... I think he's going to be one of those guys that tries to go till he's 37, 38. 
just because he can just because defense his style of defense is I can make the first pass. I don't need to be the mobile puck mover. He's never been the mobile puck mover. Right. That's why. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, his style of defense is, is, you know, concrete bollard, essentially. You're going to run into me because I'm positionally where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to sort of float around on the point in the offensive zone, hang out there because I know my, you know, I know I don't have the foot speed. So I'm going to, I'm going to pre gap everybody coming at me and launch rockets so uh, you know unless unless there's something seriously wrong with the reconstruction i don't know i i kind of see him as being one of those guys that goes a couple more or tries to he's also the kind of guy who who would want to honor his contract he's he's one of the honorable sorts i think oh he's a good canadian boy yeah and and uh, um, I mean, there are some guys that, that you know are just they'll give up because they know it's time. And then there are the guys who are like, well, maybe it's time, but I still signed a contract and I still have like four more years to go. So I'm going to try my best to like honor that. Um, and I kind of think he's one of those guys. Yeah. But I actually didn't have him on my list. I had a I, I wrote up a list of of players that were 34 or older this season. And I did not take injury history into consideration because that would have been like a huge slog. <laughs> um, but um, so as of the end of this season, there are 37 players that are 34 years old or older. And so most of them almost. Well, probably most of them are going to play next season. But will they make the season after that, even if it's a half season? I mean, so I've got Zdeno Chara, David Backus, Patrick Marlowe, Dan Girardi, Roberto Luongo, Jason Pominville, Nicholas Cronwall, Pekka Rene, uh, Dem Hamhuis, Jay Bomister. I didn't even realize he was still playing. <laughs> Alex, Alex, Alex Steen. Uh, Jason Spezza, Zach Parise, Chris Kunitz, Duncan Keith, Brooks Orpic, Cam Ward, Johnny Boychuk, Valtteri Filpola. I mean, you know, Henrik Lundqvist. I'm skipping over some guys. Mike, Mike Smith, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, Derek England, how Patrick many of, Eves. I mean, of those, how many are going to be UFAs the year prior? I don't know. I didn't look at that. And I think that would be an indicator. That's, that's, yeah. you know, anybody that's UFA, I guess. I, the reason I'm saying that is because it's one of those, you know, it's, it's semantics, right? Mm-hmm. If they're a UFA and didn't get offered a contract, did they really retire? <laughs> and that's, <laughs> so you could say the same thing about Thornton, right? Because he's a year by year guy. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I, of those 34 or 33 and 34 year old guys, it's so hard to kind of, tell yeah i mean the one that sticks out to me honestly is um is actually going to be um patrick or patrick henrik lundquist who is 36 i don't know where he is in his contract though if only there was some magical Location on the interwebs. Go look at this. You know what? I, I I'm I'm gonna go search and see if there's some site that might be friendly to 
presenting cap and contract information for some of these <laughs> as a matter of fact there is the there 30, is no. there is this uh 37 year old goaltender has two more years so he will uh so the lockout year would be his last year on the contract correct yes with a cap hit of 8.5 million dollars can we say buy out anybody no i think so nah no Nah, I I think he's one of those that, um, so we're saying 19 and 2021, I think he's going to be one of those that they've got the cap room or likely to have it for a while because they're going young and sort of stripping out and rebuilding. Um, I think if, if at the end of that he wants to come back, which he might, I mean, it, you know, there are signs of him slowing down to a certain degree, but it's not, I mean, we haven't seen a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. He hasn't, he hasn't fallen off a cliff and, and maybe he falls off next year or the year after, but until he shows signs that he's really slowing down, I'd still take 80% of Henrik Lundqvist over a hundred percent of a lot of other goalies in the league. If I'm the Rangers mm-hmm. and they've got, you know, and it also kind of depends on where Georgiev is. They're, they're sort of rising star. You know, give him a couple of years under Lundquist to, you know, to be a mentor. And then maybe they start splitting starts that final season. And then maybe Henrik sees where the team is and says, I'll come back and play backup, you know, because I think we got a chance. I don't know. He's, uh, he's, he kind of reminds me of another one of those guys, Pat, like you were sort of saying, or Cassie, that, you know, he's, he's an honorable, I'm, I'm going to retire a Ranger and mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help as long as I can. And money to me is meaningless. So, if it's one year, if it's year to year at a couple million a year to play a 1B or backup role, he might do it. He might do it. I, mean, yeah, I can, can see that. He's got yeah. the loyalty to the Rangers, I think, is what's there. And I think that's the one thing that could dictate his situation. If they decide, all right, you know, we love you. During that lockout season, they can offer once again, all right, do you want to be traded? Which apparently the Rangers asked and he said no. And they honored that request. Not that I doubt they have much of a choice because I'm sure he has a full move. Uh, yes, he does. Does he has a, does he have a full move? He has a full no move through the, uh, the duration of this uh, seven year contract. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it was. I don't think they're in the Toronto and Matt Sundin scenario where Toronto, you know, wanted to say, "Please go," you know, "Please, please, we can get assets for you and accelerate a rebuild." And Matt's is like, mm, "Nah, I don't think so." I don't think Henrik. I don't think they're in the same situation because they're not crunched. They've got enough assets in the system and in upcoming drafts that I don't think they need to worry about, you know accelerating or trying to dig themselves out of a hole. I mean, we're looking at five picks in the first two rounds next or this coming year. That alone, you know, if you get two or three players out of that, you've already, you've already jump-started whatever rebuild you've got. And then the year subsequent, you know, maybe you start trading off some of the other guys that are um, maybe Amika Zabinajad gets traded and acquired more assets. You know, who knows? They're, I think they're at a really, amazingly enough, I think they're actually a pretty good position. But anyway, back on to the subject of who's retiring. 
All right, so I have two names for you then. Three, I have three names for you. Chara, Marlo, and Luongo. Does Luongo make it that long? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I, I've heard Rumble say he, he may retire after the season, and especially since he just fired their coach. <laughs> that might be the case. <laughs> oh, God. You know uh, you know how badly that is going to screw Vancouver if he retires. They're on, because it's because of the contract, they're on the hook for a substantial amount against their cap if he retires. So, so it's interesting that you bring up his contract because that's that was kind of my line of thinking with Weber, where Nashville is in a similar position. And I mean, both Florida and Montreal being the teams that currently hold these massive pre-2013 signed contracts that'll just kill them if it was a normal buyout or a retirement where they get these back-diving penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were if there was some little loophole to get them out of this trouble, uh, would the league give it to them? Well, I mean, there kind of is, right? It's LTIR. Yeah. And I think that's what everyone thinks is going to happen with Longo. Yeah, so. I mean, his body is starting to fall apart. We're seeing it, right? And so after you know this season, he's got three seasons left. It's not implausible that they could rig a LTR LTIR scenario, put him on there, and he can. I, I mean, he could Chris Pronger himself, right? The contract just gets traded around and around and around. Everyone knows he's never going to get. Everyone knows he's not going to play again. He's never officially retired, but you know he suddenly shows up on RDS doing commentary for Montreal Canadiens games. You know, in the you know post lockout season, and he's still not retired. So right. you know, I think unless they close those kind of loopholes, I think other than rather than retire, it's pretty easy to get him on an LT. It, it should be pretty easy to get him on an LTIR. But does it happen this offseason? That that's that's where it's going to get tricky with some of these names, especially uh, ones with longer contracts. So I don't. And they know. might want to do that. They might want to do that this offseason, though, so it doesn't look so suspicious next offseason. <laughs> oh, it would. It wouldn't matter when they did it, right? I mean, unless no, uh, yeah, unless he played, you know, unless he went through a season again next year where he was injured. Um, you know, if he kind of had the same, if he kind of had the same amount of injuries next season that he did this season, I think it's just as easy to put him on LTIR then at the end of next season, even before any potential issues with a you know lockout come up. I mean, like, you know, basically before the season ends, they've placed him on long-term injured reserve. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's. I think it's one of those. Huh? Yeah. Everyone's going to be. Wow. We didn't see this coming. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> and your other name, Marlo. Mm-hmm. Marlo. He's thirty-eight. Is, well, Marlo's done after next year, regardless. I, I, I and potentially done after this year. Mm-hmm. I, well, flip a, I flip a quarter on that one. We'll see what he does in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, because you know he's he's another one of those guys that's playing limited minutes and you know on a third 
third line role. And I think they, I don't know what they've been doing in Toronto, but I think they've been limiting ice time across the board to try and maybe save something for the playoffs. I don't know. I think, I think if he has a below average playoff run, which much to the chagrin of Jeremy Roenick, um, Marlowe has never had a, a severely bad playoff run. He's actually been a fairly solid playoff performer. Um, unless he has a really bad playoff run this year, I don't know. I think he tries to make the, the end of that contract and then call it a career. Probably. And then Chara, who's 41. Chara is, I think, the modern-day Chris Chelios in the state that he can just... As long as he wants to, he's going to get a contract because he just seems to prove he can at least keep up with the game and and not be a detriment, actually provide something. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be interested to see in this spring's playoffs, depending upon how far Boston goes, how much of a factor he he is. Um, So he's already signed for next season. And I assume he's going to be given the option of a one-year deal for eternity with the Bruins. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I can see him playing another five seasons in all honesty. Um, as long as he stays healthy, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if it's, you know, even if it's that sort of four, four, five, six slot, um, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't see him, I don't see a lockout kind of pushing him to retirement. If, right. you know, if, if anything, it's, um, if anything, it'd probably help him. He's one of those guys that might help because isn't, he doesn't have the, the massive history of, of injuries that somebody right. like a, that somebody like a Thornton does. Mm-hmm. Right. And his renowned like training regiments, I think physically he would be in shape. It just might take him, you know, halfway through a truncated season to get his foot speed up, which I think a team like Boston, who's already starting to decrease his responsibility, at least in the regular season, I think they can afford to give a player like Chara that time. That's assuming he doesn't. I mean, yeah, depending on how long the lockout goes. I mean, if it's a month, then, yeah, no one's really going to be seeing what other opportunities are out there in Europe or elsewhere. Um, but I mean, he could, he could just decide to start with an out clause, you know, um, in Europe just so he keeps his foot speed up. And then when the lockout's over, he can just smoothly transition into Boston and not have to worry about that. Either that or he's going to skate some frozen river in the Yukon that no one's ever heard of. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I'm wondering if that might not. I know this is a really far-fetched scenario, but I I also wonder if it wouldn't be a scenario where he um, starts the season in the AHL. I don't know if they'd let him. Well, if he is only, if he is a UFA. Mm Mm-hmm. And he has not signed a contract. I don't see any reason why. They couldn't. They yeah. couldn't. 
It's one of those things, though, that like, you know, every lockout, the AHL has to balance, you know, with the NHL player development versus keeping current players on NHL rosters, you know, game ready. And so I don't know where Providence would sit with that. I mean, if it was just him, sure, maybe that would work. But if it's him and like three other guys... I don't know that they would do that. Uh, it's it's team choice, right? Because the, the AHL team is there to serve the needs of the NHL team. Right. And so, I mean, and it's maybe it's not a stint. Maybe it's a conditioning stint, you know, because you are, I think, under the CBA, you can still go down as a it's condition. A, it's as a conditioning 14 stint. days, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. which which is if they know, if they have a hint that they know the season's going to be starting, um, you know, which by previous sort of half, half season lockouts they've you know they've given them a couple of weeks and if they know that's going to happen they can say well you know we're going to have a a a training an abbreviated training camp for two weeks here and we'll send you know we'll send a couple of guys that are a little bit older or or maybe need to help to get up to speed down to providence two weeks prior to that so they get a month Mm -hmm. or i mean even i mean even if it's just a week it might be helpful I don't know. It'll be, this is, I, I don't want to see a lockout, but oh God, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and hypothesize. <laughs> All right, I, think what's, I think what's <laughs> going to be interested in that scenario is will players or AHL teams. So say they go the route of this player remains unsigned because he knows I'm just waiting for the CBA to be ratified and then I'll put pen to paper. All the agreements have been made. Could they sign just like a a amateur tryout contract in the AHL, which is I believe a week in length and just do that for however long is necessary. And this goes for players beyond, I guess, just a Chara say your, your, your fringe guy who is a, let's say a late twenties, early thirties doesn't know if they'll get on a team because there might be cap crunch. So what has happened in the past lockouts with the AHL is that usually the guys that are under 25 will end up being assigned to the AHL. And then the guys over 25, roughly, I mean, yeah, it's not, a hard 25 you're in or out, but, um, and the guys over, you know, mid twenties, 20 and over, um, end up having to find other opportunities that way. It still has a semblance of being a developmental league. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, that can change at any point in time. That that's just what history historically they've done. NHL teams that is. God, I just, I'm cringing over the thought of even a potential 20 game lockout. And just, I don't know. Every time it, it just, it just siphons off more potential fans. Every time. Cause, you know, the, the labor strife in this league is ridiculous when it comes to lockouts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they're really, I mean, there's some things that the NHLPA is not happy with, you know, like the Olympics and um, a couple of other things I can't think of off the top of my head, but 
I don't really, there doesn't seem to be as much angst, anxiety, anger, whatever, this time around as there has been in previous lockouts. Um, at least not from what player comments or the media has like communicated. Of course, we're still a year out. <laughs> but even still, I mean, we're just all assuming there's going to be a lockout because there has been the past four times. Um, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure there, there's really anything so contentious that they can't get it done within, you know, a, a month of the, the first month of the season, you know? We hope. <laughs> yeah, we hope. I mean, you I know, mean... things can get blown up, of course, but yeah, I mean, it just doesn't seem as inevitable this time around as it has the previous times to me. Okay. Yeah, there there's just going to be two small issues f from the player's point of view and how much are they willing to bend to lower escrow and get an international calendar that includes the Olympics every four years? I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. That's the only point. I mean, they, I know they're fighting. I know they're kind of still fighting over escrow and, and you know, what constitutes hockey-related revenue and all that kind of crap and and every time we start talking about that, obviously, I people want to bang their heads against a hard surface. But I think the Olympics is going to be a sticky widget because the NHL wants to go to China. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's going to be one of those. Oh no no we're you know we're going to the Olympics and the players will be like oh okay and they'll go to the Chinese Olympics and I forget where it is after China. Um, but it was to say that they won't do the same thing and say, oh, no, we can't go to this one because they want to grow the game in China. They want to grow NHL in China. I have to right. stop saying grow the game because there's two separate things at work. The NHL wants to grow the NHL, mm -hmm. not hockey. They want to grow the NHL. And unless it serves growing the NHL, they're not going to do it. And they may try and bamboozle the players into saying, oh, you know, we're really sorry about Pyeongchang. You know, it was just logistics and the insurance and blah, 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 blah. We'll get it all worked out for China. We're going to China. And then we'll be in the same boat for the Olympics after China when they're like, mm -hmm, no, don't care. Kind of don't well, need to go to that one. And that's, I mean, the whole thing with China, too, is it's just such an economic juggernaut that, you know, the NHL thinks dollar signs when they see going to China. But... For the most part, you know, the, the owners don't want the players going to the Olympics because, as you guys probably already know, you know, they don't get any money out of it. <laughs> and so, and they have to shut down two weeks in the middle of the season, two and a half weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. And, and the owners don't get any out, anything out of it. And so they're, the whole thing with China is that, well, if the Olympics are in China and we have NHLers in China, then that can promote the NHL. And, you know, there's all kinds of marketing and, you know, TV revenue and and merchandise revenue that we can generate off of that. And and that's what they're thinking with that. But typically the reason is the owners just they don't want to shut down their revenue source for three weeks and have players that, you know, they are paying get injured in the meantime and not be able to play for their team. So everyone obviously thinks the John Tavares situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I it's going to be one of those I think the 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 hammer that the NHL had with Pyeongchang was 
or the sword was two sided and both in their favor. Um, was the the way the IIHF and the IOC were restricting the NHL's ability to market? I think is is the determine is one of the determining factors because, to your point, Cassie, I don't think the owners would have a problem shutting down the league, or shutting down you know for a couple of weeks to go do this if there was money coming back in to the league somehow, right? right? Because anything that comes in the league gets dispersed amongst all of the franchises. So if there was a way that they could have some revenue streams coming in from the Olympics, it wouldn't be that big a deal. I mean, yes, there's still a risk of injury and all of this other stuff, and they'll, they'll say uh, it's, it might not still be worth it, but at least it's not a complete shutdown where we're getting nothing from it. What's going to make matters more interesting is the host city for 2026 actually has not been selected and it's due to be picked sometime. uh, Let's see here. Oh, right. Right after the draft in June, Um, which is I'm guessing that period of time where offseason negotiation on this issue will actually ramp up. So it's yeah. just going to be a perfect storm of, uh, well, if it's a North American city, oh, it, it's a done deal. It's happening. Because even though the IOC may, you know, throw a few nickels the NHL's way, if it's in North America, teams can still make money just through auxiliary means. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll be interesting to see who was actually chosen. And even Europe, too, for that matter. Yeah, because I mean they do regular season games now in Europe. So I mean, if they do the Olympics in Europe, I I I don't know how the NHL could say no. Sorry, we're not doing that. If they're doing regular season games there, I mean, well, they can, of course. (laughs) You know what? I think we're about due for a return to Europe for the winter because it tends it tends to cycle to continent, right? mm Hmm. And, it's, and it'll have been 16 years at that point. Yeah. Yep, because Turin. So, you know, we've done Asia. We've done no, Asia wait, twice. Russia. Mm-hmm. Was it Russia the last one? Uh, Sochi Pion- was the last one. Sochi was the last one. No, Pyong- Pyongyang, Pyongyang Sochi. Sochi. Sochi, Vancouver, Turin, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, we're, I think we're due for a Western European return. Unless they're going to pull the whole World Junior Championships thing where every other, like, years in North America. <laughs> that probably won't happen, only because I don't see very many North American cities that are either set up to do things for, for, the, whole, uh, for the whole show. So it would have to be something like... Uh, I don't know. So Vancouver was the last North American city, and there was talks for a while that Calgary wanted to put in a bid in an effort to get the Flames a new arena, which never never transpired. So I, d- I don't know who the host city would be, because I see, at least down in the States, everything seems to be geared more towards summer Olympic bids, where Los Angeles won a bid, I think, sometime in the next decade. Yeah, I think it's I. I think we're due for a return to Europe somewhere. Norway, Sweden, Finland, somewhere. Yeah, 
And if it's in Finland, there's no chance in hell they're not going. <laughs> right. I mean, half, half, uh, unlike the threat of certain players for South Korea, if the NHL said we're not going to Finland, half the league would be like, yeah, we are. We'll see you later. You know, suspend us all you want or do whatever. We're out of here. And those are guys they do not want to piss off. Right. Exactly. Because they won't come back. And that's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it. I, I, that, that's the, the oncoming train, you know, who's going to flinch first. Well, it's going to be the league because, you know, potentially half your roster is going to be gone if you, if you pull that kind of crap with them. So I think it does get worked out. I don't think there's a lockout coming. That's kind of my gut feeling too, but you know, it's always, always best to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Right. Yeah. So to that point, let's, let's throw the third one in who retires, even if there isn't one. <laughs> I think we already like went over some of that. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't think I, you know, I don't, I think Thornton's done. I, I don't think Thornton makes, makes it to the potential, even CBA expiry year. Um, if San Jose makes a deep run this year, um, that's going to be it for that aging core. And it is an aging core. So if they don't, they'll try and give it another kick at the can, but I just don't see them. They're, they're going to be, they're going to be the New York Rangers of the West here pretty quick. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if. I mean, loyalty only gets you so far, right? <laughs> In the NHL, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that with the playoff history that the the town or the the team of San Jose has had, if they don't go very far in playoffs, I, I think they're going to blow it up. Never. Never. We're already in off-season talking mode. Never. They've 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 had many years of not going very far and not blowing it up. Yeah, but their core wasn't wasn't old either at that point. This is true, but they got nothing to blow it up. I, I don't know. That's a whole other podcast. The 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 problems with San Jose. That's a whole other. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Today we'll pretend to be a San Jose podcast. Yeah, and and the couple that I listen to are are already kind of starting to touch on that subject. So. But yeah, teal tinted glasses really is teal tinted sometimes. <clears throat> it's like that with a lot of teams. This is true. So we'll, I'll, I'll do I'll do something completely rare for us and go to current events. <gasps> yes, I know, I know. Shock, gasp, ah, Mr. Clark. Yes. Wake up. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm giving you, I'm giving you the applause for the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, don't make me cry any more than I have in the past. I don't, I don't even know how long it's been since uh, they clinched. Whew. That was some fun. Watch it the- was. Uh, it-, it was only fun after they won. You mean? <laughs> No, I no for the team the, for the for the fans. I mean, well, actually, watching Nino watching Nino score that third goal, I think that the way the place erupted, I think they knew right then and there, and I think there were a lot of people scoreboard watching at that point too. 
Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Um, there was a pop the minute that went in, and where I sit, I sit where the uh, you know the home team shoots choice in regulation, so clear angle at the goal, and my ears were ringing from that moment until about noon the next day. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, I never even looked at the official attendance numbers, but it was near sellout, if not a sellout. So, of course, the Wi-Fi and the cell coverage inside the building was garbage. So there was, a, you know, just a mixture of different people up in the 300s that were keeping tabs on Washington, uh, Montreal at the time and the game, the run times were almost near identical. So we knew about 30 seconds before the final buzzer in Carolina that they had done it. Um, so there's still a lot of nerves, still a lot of stress going on in those final moments, but a, a huge sigh of relief uh, when Nita Ryder scored that goal. Oh yeah. I just from, you know, from the other side of the country in my sense, quite literally, um, watching that game, that I could see that arena and you could hear it buzzing as he broke in and then potted it the way that place erupted. That, that was entirely too much fun. Entirely too much fun. So a, a certain uh, member of the Canes uh, hockey operations department may have been um, chirping uh, our group that we weren't being loud enough at certain <laughs> moments during early in the game. And he might've had something to it. Cause there was a lot of anxiety going on. Uh, the team went down uh, one, nothing eh, five, six minutes into the game. Everything was real sloppy on the ice. Uh, so it was really tense. It, it didn't feel like an inevitable moment. It was just, all right. It didn't feel like the we were waiting for the next shoe to drop for everything to go wrong. We were just kind of waiting for that, that moment that was the need writer goal uh, to just kind just let out 10 years of frustration and anguish just melt away. Yeah. It's, it's, it reminded me to a certain degree of that just explosion of emotion when Washington won that cop, right? Cause you could just see it all of the tension and the pressure and all of the crap they'd had to put up with for the 40 plus years. And especially like the last 10 just all you know, got blown into the stratosphere at that point. It kind of felt like the same thing at that, you know, Carolina. Yeah. Very similar feeling. Cause I mean, it's just a mixture of people. There's a generation of fans in the area that have never seen a playoff game which is kind of bizarre to think about. Okay, everyone remembers 2006. Everyone remembers, okay, they made a nice little run before losing to the Penguins in 2009. But, I mean, there are kids that, frankly, haven't seen a playoff game since then. And the population growth in the area, too, has kind of cultivated a bunch of new fans. Uh, you know, there are people... Who I consider family at this point that, okay, they moved here, you know, since the last playoff game, joined as season ticket holders, and some as new as just the beginning of this year. And they could, you could kind of see whether they absorbed it from other fans or not. 
they kind of felt the weight of, okay, here's 10 years of disappointment, just kind of bottled up inside you really quickly. And so even watching them experience like this moment of joy for the first time, it was awesome. Which shades of my childhood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking, I remember when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and I didn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) I I, I remember when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and I didn't find out until two days later. I am not a football fan at all. Um, Good for you to avoid that sort of news. I, you know, I always, I always refer to a great old 30 rock joke from Tracy Morgan in there it's like it turns out that football's boring when you're drunk or, or mm-hmm. it turns out football is really boring when you're sober um yeah. <clears throat> i went the other way with the joke i don't know why um i had kind of a, a side question to you to something you said um in there pat is the population growth in in the triangle area mm-hmm. um and Cassie will know a little bit about this. Obviously, the explosion of the tech boom brought in another massive population growth in the Seattle area. Here, it brought in a lot of transplants. And those transplants are largely the foundation of the whole we want hockey in Seattle. Um, is the same sort of cross-section coming to the Triangle area? I mean, is it... Northeasterners that you know people that were sort of predisposed to like hockey coming to the area now because it's kind of a tech corridor a little bit actually that kind of migration already existed pre the team okay so when the team relocated before the 97 98 season there was already an influx of people moving uh primarily from you know blue collar jobs and you know upstate new york area around pittsburgh certain aspect uh areas in ohio and they kind of settled and there are small little suburbs or towns that will say okay avoid this place for traffic when such and such team is playing for example carry north carolina well you know to avoid driving through that town or making plans to go through there anytime the penguins play because that's just where you know during football season, there are the Steelers bars. And then during the hockey season, all right, everyone turns into a Penguins fan. And none of that ever translated into, okay, we've converted you to a full-time Hurricanes fan, which I'd say that was an experience that kind of happened with me in the early 2002 Stanley Cup run. So I grew up, Sorry, go ahead. I grew up a fan of one team and then, you know, Rod Brendamore was my kind of my favorite player and he was traded and I was pissed off at Philly for doing it. And then I just happened to move down to North Carolina uh, the year before. So it's just like, you know what, let me go all in with these guys because I can see them on TV more before, you know, I was in a position to buy a center ice package or, you know, NHL TV now. I was kind of the exception to the norm where all these other transplants, they would pick up a couple games here or there, but making that conversion into a full-time season ticket holder, into a full-time Hurricanes fan, it worked up until a point. They got their numbers up. And then I think the last lockout just kind of killed any hope of building on that. So everything at this point has to be organic growth because in all actuality, the area is kind of getting 
they're losing out on these big tech companies. Uh, so we're not seeing huge influxes at any one time of, say, an Amazon or, or you know, Apple, too, that have kind of spurned the area in the last six months. <laughs> so <Got> your blessings. <laughs> yeah, to a certain degree, yes, very yeah, much so. Yes, no. Uh, <laughs> there's still mysteriously one patch of land that's within five miles of my house that is rumored to... Uh, you bought by Apple, and I'm just I'm just fingers crossed that there's not much to it, or it's not a uh, massive expansion plan. Because honestly, that's it. It'll cut. It'll be right in the middle of my route between my house and the new uh, practice facility that they're building. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but you'll be going through there during the hours that they're not working, so it should be okay. Or they're not commuting, I guess. Not commuting. No, yeah. I, there's going to be someone working in those buildings all the time if you know, right. companies move here. So, yeah, we're. I think the, the economically and culturally, the dynamics, I think, haven't worked the same as they have in other cities. Uh, so when it comes to these big tech companies, like, I think it'd be different, different than, say, in Austin, Texas, Grabbing a uh, grabbing a uh, professional sports franchise and making something happen. Hmm. Hmm. Reason I'm asking that is because it's it's funny because and it may be a distance thing. Um, because a lot of the transplants that came to Microsoft, um, at least a lot of the ones that I know or have come across, have been East Coasters. And so they'll bring their New Jersey Devil fandom, their Bruins fandom, Rangers Islanders fandom with them, or Maple Leafs in some cases if they're from Canada. But they'll quickly convert to local Seattle sports. Because there's never, and it's been easier because there's been no hockey here. But a lot of them have already, you know, ponied up for season tickets. They, they got, you know, they were part of the, what was it, 32,000 or however many signed yeah. up on the on the website they were part of that group so they there have no, many canadians <laughs> well that's what i was going to say is i know I, amazingly enough i know quite a few people that were in the white rock sort of southern british columbia area where it's a two and a half hour drive to seattle who signed up for season tickets down here too um so so they had they they seem to have no problem admitting they're still fans of the team they grew up with, but not abandoning that fandom, but taking on a second team. Or as it sounds like in in down in your neck of the woods, it sounds like they aren't bothering with that second team. Yeah, it's it hasn't been as quick of a transition as I would have hoped. And I think part of the reason is I think whatever relocates, you know, someone here, there isn't that added incentive, say, an employer that actually invests or markets with the team, happens to buy, you know, a block of seats or happens to have a suite. There isn't a huge corporate investment in the team up until, I would say, the time Don Waddell was hired as president of the team. 
if you ever look on the ice and see some of the companies that sponsor the team, you'd be scratching your head because not even locals would know who they are. Um, they're so small in comparison to, say, whatever Nashville has or the Capitals have, for example. So I think a couple playoff runs, and I think we'll start to see people grabbing on as a second team, you know, grabbing the Canes. Well, but, here's the, here's ahead, the other thing, though, is the um, Patrick, you were saying that a lot of the people you were talking to were from the East Coast. And Pat, you were saying that a lot of the people are coming from the Northeast. And it's been my experience talking to people that a lot of individuals will only pick up a second team if they're in the other conference. Yeah, so that, that might I be have the seen, thing. Yeah, that I have seen as kind of a quicker transition. Uh, I've seen a few people from California um, pick it up real fast. They'll they'll still live and die with say the Kings, but they're living and dying with the Hurricanes now just as well. Um, because I I don't think our area has seen a reason for a ton of influx of people from I say Western Conference markets yet. It's still predominantly Northeast at this point, which makes sense from a migration point of view. Because I mean, so I came from California. And um, everybody that I work with and talk to, they're all from, you know, New England. They're all from all the states around here. And they're all looking at me like I'm insane because I left California. <laughs> <laughs> they're all like, why, why are you here? Why did you leave California? I'm like, trust me, I have my reasons. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there's, there's that... A lot of people more, there are a lot more people that move west than there are that move east, generally speaking. And so even in like the tech industries, I don't know that you're really going to see a lot of that anyway, just because of, of the ebb and flow of people moving across country. Um, if people are moving east from the west coast, they're usually going to Vegas or Denver and that's pretty much where they stop. Sometimes they go to Chicago, but they never quite make it for the most part to the actual East coast. So, um, so I don't, like I said, I don't know if you're ever going to really see that. Yeah. I would be surprised if we did. I think it, it, it depends on the industry. I think there have been other markets that have kind of, in between here and say California that have grabbed people first. So the next five, 10 years will kind of be interesting to see what, what changes. Uh, and, and I'm wondering also to a certain degree, right? There's that whole, um, I'm not going to give up my loyalty. I mean, even I, I totally agree. There's that whole, if they play in a different conference, it makes it easier. But I also think the fact that the hurricanes have been bleh, for so long, there's you know there's no reason for these fans of these other teams to give up their loyalty, right? I mean, unless their team was crappier than the Hurricanes, even then, I think that's one of those scenarios where, you know, as a psychoanalyst, and you would say, why would I, you know, it's it's not a it's not a step up, it's a lateral move, and I'll stick with what I love. People love to, winners, right? And that's what I'm saying is, I mean, if you're a fan of a, a hypothetical, um. 
you know, if, if you were from Florida and grew up a Panthers fan and moved up there, why would I want to become a Canes fan? They're not any better. Whereas if, you know, the Canes start building momentum off this season, I think you, you know, there's that potential of, I'm going to start going to Canes games because the Panthers are still, you know, excrement. But this Canes team is becoming a little bit more fun. You know, they're starting to win. So, you know, it's amazing what actually success will do to attendance and growing fan bases. And, you know, even if you keep 10% of those people the next time there's a downturn, that's, you, it's 10% more than you had last time. So Exactly. And the fact that they're actually getting exposure through any number of different, you know, media opportunities. Now they'll have at least one national game, probably I'm hoping for two to three uh, in a first round series against the Capitals. So now here's the exposure that a pretty blah franchise with a boring style of play that changed, you know, in the off season. Okay. Now here's something exciting to actually watch and, you know, maybe someone will at least say, hey, maybe I'll plan a vacation to that area because I like, let's say, golf. Because I know we have the U.S. Open coming back to the area uh, within the next two years and someone might plan a vacation. And then they'll say, oh, I'll try and sneak in a uh, playoff game or I'll try and get there in preseason. And if I'm going on a spring break to Myrtle Beach, oh, Raleigh's on the way from, you know, X Northeast city. So hopefully we can capitalize on that a little. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing that, that brings in people like winning, you know, it, it's, yeah. this is the, the whole thing with um, Canadian teams or the, the original six teams. So like arbitrary, arbitrary, yeah, arbitrary six. Um, so the, uh, you know, blogging about Tampa for, for eight years. Um, yeah. they, they didn't turn it around until Iserman took over, right? Until they the owners were changed over, till Vinick came in, and um, you know, so everybody was like complaining bitterly about how awful Tampa was and how they should be moved and how there shouldn't be a team in the Sun Belt like that and why is there hockey in Florida? Because that doesn't make any sense. And of course, everybody was completely ignoring the fact that. Just a few years before that, Chicago couldn't draw more than six thousand people in their their arena. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody nobody complains about Ottawa. No, no one right. complains about Ottawa. They they write it off. Oh, the team is bad. You know the economic. You know it's tough. The the building and the arena is so far out of town. Yeah. And yeah, the the excuse the factor. Oh yeah, yeah, but not when it comes to quote unquote non traditional markets. So yeah, I mean, there's there's that too. The it just reminded me of that fact that what you were talking about, Pat, was just like drawing in fans. And, and it's most obvious to a lot of the traditional hockey markets, quote unquote, um, when teams are losing. And so, of course, they pile up on the teams that are losing. There shouldn't be a team there. It's like Atlanta, for example. They're 11 years, made playoffs once, maybe. And so, of course, when they moved to Winnipeg, everyone's like, oh, well, now they'll start winning now because they'll actually have real fans. Yeah. They made that the playoff. Two years. <laughs> they made the playoff once and got walked in four games. Yeah. So, anyway. <sighs> these, these people, the, the, 
the guardians of the fandom drive me nuts. Oh, the amount of gatekeeping that we see down here is hilarious. I mean, it's so bad that you just have to laugh at it. Um, Specifically, you know, I think there was an image used as like the, uh, you know, the the feature image that you would see on social media for a story about the Canes. And it happened to be from a game back in October, November. And there was like a couple empty seats in the picture. It was an ice level shot looking into the 100 level, you know, pretty similar image that you might see in a Toronto game, if you ask me, but Mm -hmm. without fail, you know, we see plenty of snarky comments coming from the province of Quebec about how, you know, Oh, they can't even fill a building when they're good. And that how a team should return to Quebec City and forgetting how successful the last team in Quebec City was. Right. Hey, but they won a Stanley Cup in 1996. Oh, wait. <laughs> it was only a few thousand miles away when they did it. But we'll ignore that fact. I'll just gloss it over. And I know as Patrick should know this, seeing as though I know he's also either finished or still reading a. Uh, down go brown down goes brown's new book um <laughs> Quebec city has not had the best history with hockey dating nope. back to 1890 so although to be fair quebec city ended up losing their team because of um the canadian dollar being so awful which is why um Winnipeg lost their team, and Edmonton almost lost their team, and Calgary almost lost their team, too. (laughs) And everybody was being paid in U.S. dollars. (laughs) There was a little more to it. That was was the big factor, but there was a little bit more to it. Well, yeah. I mean, but that's that's the most commonly accepted story. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, really quick to your point, Pat, I'm actually rereading it. Because I just... There's so much stuff in there that... I wanted to read it once, digest it, and then come back and read it again because I know there's parts that I forgot that I probably shouldn't because some of those sections are just freaking hysterical. Yeah, it's definitely worth picking up. I oh, ho- hope, to finish my, hope to finish in the next week. But it's funny how the major markets, so let's just Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, how much they will or have supported just some t- terrible teams and in, in, in some terrible spans of time. Whereas I look at Vancouver and they seem to be sometimes 2011 excluded uh, some of the more rational fans where they have a, a decent product, at least entertaining, semi-competitive, they'll go support it. But, you know, during the lean years, they have just as many empty seats as a Carolina would on, you know, a Saturday night. Oh. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because Vancouver is basically an extension of Washington State, but <laughs> and and the Pacific Northwest doesn't um, typically turn out in mass for losing teams. We have too much other stuff to do up here. Yeah, that, you know, if it's a sunny day, it, the prime example is the Mariners. If it's a sunny day and the Mariners are a crappy team, I'm not going to go sit in the ballpark even with the roof open. I'm going to go to the Olympics. I'm going to go to the Peninsula. I'm going to go, you know, screw around up at Snoqualmie Pass. I'm, you know, I'm going to head out. Go for a hike, go camping, go. Yeah. I'm going to go anywhere but sit in the stadium and watch a crappy baseball team. 
And yeah. to the, to the certain degree, the, you know, the same thing happens in the winter, you know, Oh, the Seahawks suck. Well, I'm going to go skiing, yeah. you know? I mean, so, that, but that is another, you, you've got a good point, Pat, though, is that that is another like difference, cultural difference between the yeah. U S and Canada being fans is that, um, Canadian, well, in the turn, in, in the case of Toronto and Montreal in particular, it's so hard to come by tickets so that when the team is losing, that's when people can actually buy tickets to go mm-hmm. um, because there are ticket, more tickets available. So, yeah, they're going to keep supporting their teams because that's the only time they can get into the arena. <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean... t- you're getting into the, to the, to the third level fan, so to speak, not not to be you know derogatory, but those those people that might not be able to afford those three hundred dollars seats. But because they're sitting on the second hand market for you know, 80 or 90 bucks because the season ticket holders aren't going that night or, or, you know, the normal people to buy them aren't going, you know, those people that want to go to games regardless are able to go. Whereas, right. you know, you're, you're, you're talking three, four layers deep of people lined up to go to these games, especially in those two markets. Whereas Vancouver, you've got a one and a shallow two, you know, Edmonton, you've got a one and a shallow two. Calgary, kind of the same thing. So the the depth of, of fandom, I think, is the real issue. Yeah. Not to not to mention, I mean, Toronto and Montreal are basically propped up by major conglomerates. Then, you know, auxiliary businesses throughout those cities are also the ones buying up and pricing out the 300-level people. Like myself, I could probably afford a 100-level ticket and in Carolina, yes, it's probably a you know a third to half the price of, say, a Pittsburgh Penguins ticket right now. If I'm comparing U.S. markets, um, so it'd be interesting to see if there weren't you know telecoms lifting up the Maple Leafs, how would how would attendance have looked say five years ago? Well, I can tell you, I mean, you actually can see the slide in Toronto attendance during some of those leaner years. But, I mean, even through their the, the darkest days of the early 2000s for them, they were still pretty much capacity most nights. And, you know, the, you also have the other aspect of the the Raptors weren't any good around that same time. So, you know, and the CFL doesn't compete with the NHL as far as season overlap that much, except the tail end of it, I think. So, mm, well, you know. the, where you see it is, is uh, you know, the whole lower bowl in Toronto is all corporate, basically, from yeah. what I've been told. And so you'll always see the upper decks full regardless, I think. But if there's no one sitting in the lower bowl, that, that usually happens when the team sucks because you can't, you know, Companies can't make their employees go to those games. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the only way you can tell, I think, when a uh, um, when a team is doing poorly in in Toronto. Yeah, the what the, the platinum seat ghost, I think, is the Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which reflects that because that's the you know the platinum ring of seats, sort of right there behind the bench, which they're the worst seats in hockey. I don't know why anyone sits there. You literally can't see anything. Does um, it get on camera? Yeah, sure. Look, well, I'm here. Yeah, exactly. Wait, that's an incentive. 
for some usually i want to be away from the camera as far as possible mostly for other people's good (laughs) yeah same same here same here i don't you know they don't need to they don't need to they don't need to mock a hockey game tv ma you know um for graphic violence um uh, okay my brain just completely seized up I have. I was right. going to say something else. I don't know what the hell it was. Take so, us home, Mr. Clark. So, <laughs> all right, this is perfect opportunity. So I kind of tease talking about uh, Sean McAdoo's book uh, about the history of the NHL. So let me post this to you guys. What is your favorite hockey book of recent memory? And we'll save that for next week. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. This has been the 3B3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody. <laughs>